Hi, I'm Debbie Georgettis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about Nancy Pelosi infects the virus relief effort. Women Leader Series, Connie Burton joins me. She's the founder of the Texan Independent Newspaper, Virus and the Death of Reason, and finally, Quarantine, the Economy Matters Too. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. First five, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. We talked a little bit yesterday, and I want to talk about it again today, where we are in Washington trying to get the relief package put together to help Americans suffering because of the coronavirus meltdown of our economy. And if you ever doubted the deeply held belief expressed by Rahm Emanuel, the idea that never let a good, good crisis go to waste, if you ever doubted that is just a operating assumption of the Democrat Party, this can cure any doubts you have. Let me just tell you the few things, just a short laundry list of the items Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are trying to stuff into this corona relief package. Again, literally, this is intended to help Americans who've lost paychecks, lost jobs, can't pay their rent, can't pay their mortgage, can't put food on the table, to help businesses who are suffering because of the incredible impact of coronavirus. Here's what Nancy Pelosi and her team want to put into this bill. This is why this has been held up in Washington. Number one, the Democrats are trying to use this corona funding bill to completely obliterate the idea of fair elections. They are trying to force onto all of America, compel for all of America, the kind of provisions California uses in order to cheat the electorate out of the right to have fair elections. They tried to put in the bill, this is again, the Pelosi uh, Democrat team, mandating the counting of provisional ballots. We talked about that before, provisional ballots or ballots of people when they come in to vote and they're not either not on the voter rolls at all, or there's something, uh, some concern that perhaps they aren't supposed to be voting. They vote in some other state. You thought a provisional ballot mandates counting provisional ballots. Number two, nationalizes the requirement of same day as election voter registration. Any goofball can wander in on election day, register and vote. And third, nationalizes the practice we've talked about many times called ballot harvesting. The basic idea of having people go around to homes of people who are perhaps homebound or not particularly active, perhaps very senior, and go in, bring them ballots, you know, supposedly have the person vote, pick that ballot up and deliver it back to the uh, county election commission to be voted as a valid ballot. It is a known tactic to cheat in elections. So, and this is what the Democrats would like to force on all of America as opposed to letting states set their own practices and rules with respect to voting. So that's just one arena of, of, of just contortion of the coronavirus bill that the, the Democrats have been up to. Uh, they also, if you miss this little clip, I'm not going to play the clip today, but there was a gentleman, the majority whip, a Democrat in the U.S. House majority whip, James Clyburn, actually said on camera that he and his colleagues saw the coronavirus bill as a tremendous opportunity to restructure things to fit our vision. No kidding. In addition to taking over the entire um, election system in this country, uh, they demanded changes in bargaining powers for unions, all sorts of provisions from the uh, Green New Deal, uh, provisions that relate to the environment, stuck into this uh, bill. I'll give you some specifics. Uh, other ones, corporations, if you receive any money from this uh, coronavirus bill funding, the Democrats are trying to put in that you have to produce to the government corporate pay statistics by race, as well as racial statistics for all corporate boards if your company receives any money at all. It involves bailing out the all current debt of the Postal Service, which by the way, oddly, personally benefits Nancy Pelosi and her family, uh, requires early voting happen in all states, a $10,000 bailout for all student loans, for companies accepting assistance uh, from this bill, forcing them going forward to fill at least one third of their board members by people chosen by the company's uh, 
uh, workers, provisions, uh, all sorts of changes to collective bargaining rules, um, full offset. This is there's all sorts of environmental things in there about with respect to the uh, airlines, a uh, full offset of airline emissions by 2025, essentially demanding that the airlines pick up the cost of what they claim is the the uh, they're requiring them to offset the harm to the environment done by the use of airplanes. Fifteen dollar minimum wage that companies receiving any assistance at all. Oddly, retirement plans for community newspaper employees permanent paid leave at companies receiving assistance, and last little shot, because I could go on for the entire show today and just list the absurd demands made by the Democrats for this funding bill, but I'll end with this one. In the draft Nancy Pelosi has put forward for this funding bill, the word diversity, demanding diversity, occurs 32 times. This is a just playground for the radical left, for the Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats to contort the purpose of this bill, which was to get assistance to Americans as quickly as possible in light of the harm done to our economy by the coronavirus. This is the Democrats telling you they actually don't really care about helping the Americans in who have been harmed by the coronavirus. They are not interested in addressing the problem. They see, they think they have the Republicans over a barrel, they have the American people over a barrel, they see as a chance to force radical leftism into this bill. And so far at least, the Republicans in the Senate are saying no way. I'm actually hoping that at some point, Donald Trump can just say, you know what? We may just try to get through this without this massive spending bill. There already, has already been another one, but without this massive assistance because we can't let the Democrats put in place their radical socialist agenda just so we can get money to Americans in the, who've been harmed by this coronavirus epidemic. This is, if you ever needed it, a window into the thought of the radical left in this country. Simply, plain old, power-driven, power-hungry, left-wing radicals who are seizing the opportunity because they don't have this very often to force many, many ideas into law that they could never get passed if the actual whole Congress selected by the American people had a chance to vote. And that, my friends, is today's First Five. Well, I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a, a guest joining us. I believe she's going to be joining us by uh, videos. We'll see her in a moment. Uh, this is part of our Women Leaders series, Connie Burton. She's the founder of the Texas Independent Newspaper, The Texan, an independent newspaper. Uh, she's also a former state senator. Uh, and actually, I just was thrilled when she was a state senator. She's uh, a very, uh, very bright and very accomplished and very um, outspoken, just, just a, a stellar representative of her district in the time she's uh, served in the Texas State Senate. So I believe we have Connie. And there she is. Hi, hey, Connie. How are you? <laughs> Hi. Hi, I'm well, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, you know, I love the idea that you, after you left the Texas State Senate, you started your own newspaper, this this is called The Texan. It's an online paper, and I could read a bunch of things about it. But just to start with, why did you decide to do this after you left the Texas State Senate? Right. Well, I, I think most of your listeners um, would understand um, the frustration that we all who are right of center have with legacy media outlets. And when I say legacy media outlets, I mean traditional newspapers. Most of them now have gone online as well, uh, but the major newspaper outlets, um, you know, uh, I think now more than ever, particularly with President Trump, um, you see their um, bias, not only bias, but outright um, um, making up of stories. Um, we've seen this over uh, the course of time that President Trump has been president, but not only then, I mean, this is something that's been frustrating to those of us who are right of center for a very long time. Um, I remember back in the days before I was even uh, an activist, before I ran for office, um, getting rid of calling up our Fort Worth Star Telegram and saying, I don't want to get y'all anymore because you do not respect my worldview. And this was quite a while ago. I mean, it was at least 20 years ago. Um, and so certainly then when I became an activist and then certainly when I ran for office and was in office, 
then you really see the bias that comes out from these media outlets. Um, they're not as interested in getting information out to people as they are in pushing a left-wing agenda. And I was tired of that. Um, I decided that you know we needed to do something about it. And so we launched the Texan not quite a year ago now. You know, it has become such a, uh, a force in Texas. So many people know about it. I actually didn't think, I thought it was, had been around longer than that, but you're not even, not even <laughs> here. Okay. Well, I love that. So uh, tell me the way that you try to, I, I know that you have, you're not exactly trying to be the, you know, conservative only Fox News equivalent. You're kind of delivering right. right of center factual reporting. Is that right? That's correct. So I always say, because I go around and speak about the Texan a lot, and I always tell them, you know, we are not an advocacy organization. I love all our advocacy organizations that are right of center, um, you know, but those organizations um, usually endorse and maybe rate, you know, legislators, uh, those kinds of things. They speak differently, right? They, they are trying to... Um, um, they have more opinion, so to speak, right? And I love that. And that's good. And we all need those organizations. We need those advocacy organizations. For instance, say on life issues or fiscal issues or yep. uh, religious liberty issues, right? Uh, but what we don't have on the right is a straight news organization that will get you, give you the facts, but give you the facts from the right of center perspective. And, and let me just, let me help you to understand it in case your viewers are kind of confused by that. Um, we talk about stories that the uh, legacy media outlets ignore. They either ignore or when they speak about it, they couch it in different ways. For instance, um, you know, uh, illegal immigration, border security are very, very important to right of center Texans. And yet, most all news outlets in Texas, legacy news outlets, reported in a way that as if um, you don't support, you know, say, open border type of policy, you are um, uh, racist, <laughs> right? You're yes, they, yes, exactly. In those kinds of terms, right? Um, yep. they, they use terminology that's ridiculous for, for abortion, reproductive health care. You know, those of us on the right don't consider abortion reproductive health care. Health care um, so at all, yes. We, so, exactly. So what we see all the time is the legacy media outlets perpetuate what left of center, uh, the Democrats push, right? It becomes their language as well. And it basically, you know, does not respect um, that we have a different viewpoint um, on border security. Oh, we're concerned about drugs coming across, illegal immigration, um, you know, sovereignty of the of the country. I mean, we have Trafficking, real yeah. reasons. Yes, we have real legitimate reasons for, uh, you know, standing on particular issues, but that never comes across in legacy media outlets. Now, again, that's not to say when we write articles that we, you know, hit people over the head with that. We just, you know, again, we, we write the article from the perspective of, you know, uh, national sovereignty, why we're concerned about it, the laws that are in place, why, you know, um, those kinds of things. So, so we show it in a way that's respectful, to right of center. And we also talk about stories that frankly, um, left of center legacy media outlets just don't even cover. Yeah. I also noticed you had, um, I looked through some information about what you are, or when you go and speak, you talk about it. So you also do some kind of little mini interview podcast kind of thing also. Is that right? Can yes. you explain and talk yes. about that? Thank you. Yes. So we also, in addition to all our content that we have on our website, which by the way is the Texan.news. So when you go to the Texan.news, we've got lots and lots of content there for you to take a look at. But if you continue to scroll down, we also have video interviews that we do. And, you know, I've done them with Congressman Crenshaw. Um, you know, we've done them with House Rep Kyle Biederman. We do it with, you know, people in the community. Uh, anything that has to do with the political world, um, we have interviews um, with on, excuse me. And like, for instance, we had a whole series of them, very hot race in Austin uh, before the primary election, all the Republican candidates 
that were running in the primary um, to uh, there. It's a seat that's traditionally been uh, safe red but it w turned blue um, last election cycle. And so there's a lot of Republicans that are coming in to try to win that seat back. So we had an interview with all of the candidates so people could see it. Another one that might be interesting um, to a lot of people is, you know, we have a race for this Republican state chair. Um, and I interviewed yeah. uh, Colonel Alan West and James Dickey both separately and just tried to ask them the same kinds of questions so that, you know, if you're a delegate and you're going to the convention, that might be helpful as well. That was very good. Yeah, very, very good. So I do want to ask you about some specific topics that I, I happen to see articles in uh, the Texan. And again, it's the Texan.news. I had that down to tell people because I do want people to go look at it afterwards. But I do want to ask, Good. so you have that you employ people. I mean, you've got reporters who go out and, and yes. cover stories and write stories, correct? Okay. Yes. So that this is obviously right. so, is that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So it ain't free. So you need, that's okay. So you got to have subscribers to pay these people who do the work, right? That's, a, that's correct. You know, my husband and I, um, when we looked, I mean, it's probably not surprising to most of your listeners and viewers that right now most media outlets are going under. <laughs> and here we are opening a media organization, right? So obviously we needed we looked a lot at the models that are out there, what they're doing wrong, what these le legacy media outlets are doing wrong, which we know first and foremost is they do not respect the worldview of half of Texans or half of the country, frankly, right? That's a big portion right. of why they're going under. But there's additional reasons too. And so obviously we looked into, um, you know, how we could sustain. Um, and so my husband and I, just like most people that launch a business, we put a lot of our eggs into this basket. Um, we have launched it. We, you know, are um, putting the seed money to get this uh, baby started. That's how much we believe in this, that we believe Texas needs this. Um, and we've got an editor. We've got three staff writers in Austin. We've got an outreach director. We've got an IT marketing guy. We've got our uh, operations director. We've got freelance writers um, in other areas of Texas. We have got um, people that we are paying. We have a payroll. We are we are a legitimate business. We are not, yeah. you know, a couple of people who sit behind a, a, a computer, right? <laughs> and so, yes, you're correct. They need to be paid. Um, and so how we are functioning is we are a subscription site. And frankly, Debbie, you probably noticed as well that most of these legacy media outlets, you know, it's just like back in the day when we subscribed to our newspapers. Sorry about that. Um, we subscribed to our newspapers and it came on our driveway every morning. Um, now, yep. you know, they're all going to a subscription based online as well. Um, and the reason we're doing that is because um, we want to be accountable to our readers and to our readers only. Um, we don't want to be accountable to advertisers who are more interested in clicks. Therefore, your yep. headlines need to be sensationalized. Um, you know, that's where we get this clickbait that so many of us get so tired of. Um, you know, when you open it up and you read it, it doesn't have anything to do with what the, the headline was. Um, that's all that advertisers really care about is the number of clicks. Um, we also right. didn't want to have, you know, just um, some big donors um, that told us, perhaps a direction that we needed to go. That might <laughs> Don't talk about that issue. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, you know, but, and there's nothing wrong with either, but we realize that we don't want any, we don't want to be held accountable by anybody, but our readers. And we send out surveys quarterly um, to get, you know, feedback um, from the kind of content they're wanting to hear. We can move quickly and agilely to what's going on. We don't have to, you know, go to any kind of board of directors and find out if this is okay or uh, worry about the clicks that it's getting. We are getting out real information on politics that is going to educate Texans um, for all levels of government here in Texas. Okay, I have meant to mention also, Connie, that you uh, you have a presence on Twitter, and uh, I was going to share that. Yeah, okay. So it's at Connie, which is K-O-N-N-I, at Connie Burton, and um, that is a, uh, you have a 
the little label you put on your own uh, Twitter page, continuing the fight for Texas, which I just love that. I love that. Um, good. But good. one of the articles that you mentioned, yeah, that you mentioned there, one of the top stories has to do with this coronavirus pandemic that the world is facing. And I don't know whether you, I know you probably don't get to read every single article that's on the Texan. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but I do, I do read coverage. them all. Oh, you do? Yes, okay. we have. Yes, I do read them all. Now, I don't, I don't know each and every story like the writers do, right? Um, and so, but we have been obviously on the coronavirus from way back. Um, you know, we yeah. have contacts in D.C. We have contacts at the state legislature, obviously. And, you know, they were kind of letting us know that this was a concern. And so we were writing articles about it. Again, not sensationalized, not blaming anybody. We're just giving people the facts as we know it, when we know it. Um, so we've been writing on this a lot. And then there was a great one today that came out about the, um, oh, you could probably tell me better, um, the medication that I think everybody's screaming at Tr uh, President Trump about uh, currently. Oh, okay. I didn't even know you wrote about that. Chlorohydrox. Yes, yes. Whatever it is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, that's uh, exactly, I was like, oh, I shouldn't try, even try to pronounce that. We wrote an article today from an uh, ER doctor in Dallas who is seeing great yeah. results of that. Um, and so, you know, here's the deal. You know, we're not saying this is, you know, it's like, um, this is the end all be all. We're not sensationalizing it, but we are reporting it. Um, and, you know, people need to see that too, that what's working, what's not working. Um, there's so much misinformation out there. And basically what we want to do is say to people, if you come to the Texan, if you subscribe to the Texan, you can read us and you can be um, educated on um as local as we can get, obviously we're still very small and we're, we, we're growing, but you know, we can't be local everywhere in Texas. Texas is a large state, but um, yeah. we, we try to get as local as we can. We certainly are state level and federal level um, as well, but we're only Texas focused. So the news has to affect Texas in some way for us to report on it. We're not going to report on the latest AOC tweet or even frankly, the latest Trump tweet. We've got plenty of okay, people. I'll, I'll do that, that for you. Go ahead. I'll, I'll do that here on my show. Yeah, exactly. That's somebody else's job, and we don't. That's we don't want to do that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. On that story, though, on the um, on the coronavirus, broadly speaking, one thing I was grateful to see in your paper was an article by someone who was talking about because we live, as I told my listeners, and we have listeners, Connie, I think you know, around the country. In fact, I don't even know if the majority are in Texas, so it's an, a nationwide show. But of course, I talk about Texas because we live here, and here in Dallas right. County, where I live, we are under a um, shelter-in-place order. You're literally you're not supposed to go out except, you know, to the doctor or the grocery store, things you have to do. Otherwise, stay home. And there was great controversy about the issuance of that order. And one article you had in your newspaper, which it was just a, it was just very well written, was explaining where the information came from on which the Dallas County Commissioner's Court based that order, the, the county judge based that order. It was a shelter-in-place order, but it actually came from a private the statistics handed out by the county to justify this shelter in place came from a private organization, COVID <laughs> Act Now, not the CDC, yeah. not the state health department, but a private organization, which it was, I think, I mean, that's a great example to me of the value of your paper, because I think most Texans, most Dallasites assume, well, if they're saying this, they, they must have good recent data that is official, that is coming from the government. But it's not. It's a private organization that has, it appears, and their numbers are not consistent with what the federal numbers are, <laughs> CDC numbers are. But your 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 writer's article, I've forgotten who wrote this, but basically was pointing that out. This came from this, not, with not even a judgmental adjective. I might have added in a judgmental adjective about that site. Anyway, <laughs> your person just said, hey, here's where it, <laughs> I know, but here's, here's where it came from. And, you know, so judges judge accordingly. I thought it was just a great right. example of what your newspaper does. Really stellar. Right. Right. Thank you very much. Um, it's it's interesting as I go around talking about the Texan, I think it dawns on everybody how, um, you know, when I speak, I say, you know, we just want to give you the facts and then you make up your own mind how you feel about that. Um, and everybody just kind of goes, thank you. <laughs> All right. Mm -hmm. I mean, they likely 
all of us who are right of center likely will end up at the same place. Maybe not. Maybe there's some nuances there, you know, here and there. But but a lot of people are tired of getting um, opinions shoved in their face everywhere. Now, you know, if they go to uh, you know, this site or this site and then the text. Like, for instance, what I see a lot is people will want to watch a show. People will want to listen to this um, personality, right of center. This pundit or something. And, yeah. Yes, exactly. And then they'll want to read the text. In, right. Um, but, you know, what they're tired of is picking up the Houston Chronicle day after day after day, and it just be this whipping horse of it against, you know, right of center Texans. Um, and so it's very nice that people can pick and choose where they want to get their information. But like I said before, they haven't really had a straight news organization from the right. And so we see this us as complementing um, the other um, you know information sites that they may go to. Okay, you had a very polite and nice term you use. I wrote it down: the legacy legacy media outlets. I, I sometimes call them the Democrat media mob, but you don't have to call them that. I can call them that. But but on this note, Connie Burton, first of all, I want to commend you again because you are wildly known in wild widely known in Texas as an activist <laughs> and a state senator. And so honestly, after that, you could, you could have said, hey, you know what? That was fun. I'm done. Mm -hmm. But taking this up, getting this newspaper going was really a way for you to say, I'm staying in not the fight for precisely what I want, but for people to be informed and to be activists and to have a, a, a factual uh, place to go so you can be a good activist, an honest activist. So um, I just commend you on a great, great thing. And again, the website for it is? TheTexan.News. And I'll tell everybody we are on, of course, Facebook and of course, Twitter. And we even have an Instagram page as well. So look for us on all of those social media sites. Please like and follow us and share our articles because the, the more you share them, the more we get the word out and the more successful we'll be and the more reporting we can do. And on that note, Connie Burton, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Debbie. You're always awesome. Thanks so much for reaching out to me. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. Great talking to you. And again, friends, that's Connie Burton, a just great friend and also the founder of The Texan. And it is really a truly a great source. And I, I you know, I'm start, this is, I uh, introduced her as part of our uh, Women Leader Series. There are more women speaking up in this era, in this time, in 2020, moving forward from the conservative perspective, from the, as Connie says, probably the right of center, whatever you want to use the term, people who do not want to buy in to what the left is trying to sell America and especially American women. Connie, great thinker. I've had great policy debates with her. Obviously, I know her off air. Great policy debates with her over the years. She's a really well-informed thinker. And it's a great service that she is creating really for all of Texas uh, for putting this newspaper together and urging people to actually have the facts. And it was Connie Burton, The Texan, is the name of the online paper, and it is thetexan.news to go to it and you can read a little bit online then you can subscribe. So wanted to thank her for doing that. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to talk to her. Well, next story I want to turn to today, uh, obviously coronavirus is filling the news and I call this segment the virus and the death of reason. And I'm telling you folks, I want to tell you just a few short stories to give you a flavor of what I'm talking about. So as I said, here in Dallas, we have a, a countywide order and it's, it's called shelter in place. Other places have it too. So in my sweet little neighborhood, you know, we uh, live in a family neighborhood and I have a friend who lives pretty close to us, not exactly our neighborhood, but very close by. She was texting me to tell me that her neighbor next door was out in the yard with her three kids who were, you know, home from school, I guess a little bit stir crazy. So she had the kids out in the yard and they're running around, you know, just playing in the front yard. Well, a woman, a neighbor across the street called the police to report that there was a neighbor who let her kids out of the house and the kids are in the front yard and they're not staying three to six feet apart. They're actually touching each other, playing tag, wherever they're playing. And so the police came and said to the busybody neighbor, you know, actually they're, they're allowed to be outside. First of all, the order wasn't even in place yet at the time of this incident, but they're allowed to be outside but this neighbor was incensed that across the street, 
some neighbor of hers let her three children play outside. We're getting uh, the loss, and I, I do, I call it the death of reason, the loss of reason. We become so worked up about fear of the coronavirus that we're, we're saying and doing irrational things. That's one example. Now I want to tell you about something that happened to me last night. So I'm working at home at my desk. I was up a little bit late working on a writing project and I kept getting distracted. And so I was looking at Facebook and I saw that our own Texas Lieutenant Governor, and he's been on the show, in fact, fairly recently he was on the show, Art in Texas, our state Lieutenant Governor is named Dan Patrick. And he's a, um, you know, he's been widely known in Texas for a long time. You know, he's been, he was a state Senator and he had a couple of, anyway, he's widely known, obviously, he's a Lieutenant Governor. He was interviewed on uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox last night. He said on Fox, and here's his, his, his wording, my message is that let's get back to work. Let's get back to living. Let's be smart about it. And those of us who are 70 plus, which I guess he is, I didn't know that, those of us who are 70 plus, we'll take care of ourselves, but don't sacrifice the country. That was his language on Tucker Carlson. So I'm noticing last night, which I, I didn't watch, but I'm seeing people on Facebook commenting on this and uh, just ripping him to shreds, saying, how dare he say we have to get back to work? You know, whose grandfather does he want to kill? You know, what old person is okay for him to kill? I mean, is he talking about just let people die? I mean, this, I am telling you, these are people I know. I mean, many of these posters, people I know, hysterical, hysterically claiming that somehow the Texas Lieutenant Governor, by saying, you know, we need to get back to work, and he did say in the course of the interview, by the way, you know, right now in Texas, we have, we have outside of Dallas County, we have other restrictions in place, and so and they're all through like April 3rd or so. But the point he was making was, you know, we, we have to move on from this, we have to get back to work. So people on Facebook and all the commenting sections, uh, you know, following, and numerous people posted a reference to this story of his comments on Tucker Carlson and were saying things like, well, I guess he doesn't, you know, I guess he doesn't care if people die. So I, I usually stay out of political debates on Facebook because it's usually all one-sided. And, and so either I already agree with the people or they're not really there to have a conversation. They're, they're there to just vent and they don't really want to hear the other side. But I tried to weigh in and just said, hey, you know, I don't think he's saying that he doesn't care if people die. I think he's saying we have to find some balance between how long we stay home and in Dallas County shuttered in our homes, how long we stay home and then what impact that will have on the economy as we go forward as a country. And you know, at some point, if everything is shut down and we get to the actual point of a major recession or a major stock market crash or a major depression even back to depression era thinking and we have people losing their homes losing their jobs you know all sorts of horrific things falling on we might want to agree that you can weigh in the the damage to america to our economy and somewhere in the calculation weigh that in with the threat to people who are over 70 or have some other vulnerability to the coronavirus, that maybe we can adapt our policy to address those kinds of concerns, that we could balance things and we can't keep businesses closed forever. And the way I just said it to you was even, I mean, I was slowly typing, I was actually dictating into, into my phone on Facebook. So I'm very slowly and and no name calling and no anger, just trying to posit the idea that we have to be willing to have some balance in the discussion. So that discussion went from people I actually know saying, oh, so you don't care. So if your grandmother dies, guess you don't care. Or you value money more than life. Admit it. You value money more than life. And I'm like, no, actually, I don't value money more than life. But the economy isn't just about money. It's not just about how big is my 401k, which by the way, is not very big. How big is my 401k? What's happened to my investments? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way we function as a country, that people have jobs, that they go to work, and if they work hard, they get paid, and they get a paycheck, and they take it home, and allows them to pay their rent, 
and their mortgage and to buy food, to put food on the table, to take care of their families, to live life in the American dream. That's what we're talking about. Because at some point, if all the businesses, and in Texas, most businesses are shuttered. Most businesses are closed. Restaurants can be open. You have to do drive-through only. You can't, you know, you can't sit down in a restaurant. Just at some point, all these people sitting home, then the ripple effect of not getting a paycheck. So you can't, when you get home, you can't pay your mortgage or your rent. And so your landlord or your mortgage holder has to decide, what am I going to do? I'm not getting paid. And then the people that you normally take care of, your children, don't have what they need. I mean, the ripple effect of an economy just grinding to a halt is a human issue. It's not about money. It's not a money issue. It's not about being greedy. In other words, all the people who were critical of Lieutenant Governor were saying greedy, selfish, mean, only thinks about money. People, I really want to encourage you because I think these arguments are a little bit more, they tend to appeal more to women. You know, that uh, women have this nurturing, we want to take care of people, we think of our parents or others we know who may be vulnerable, have some susceptibility to possibly having a bigger problem dealing with coronavirus. We have to be able, and I said, I, I kind of gave up at one point. I just said, you know, this is why people can't have conversations because no one's talking about the issue. You're, all you're doing is kind of name calling and attributing absurd motives like lieutenant governor doesn't care if people die. I mean, just how flaming out of it do you have to be to say something like that? You may disagree with the policy. One person who had an iota of rationality left in the conversation said, well, I think until we have sufficient numbers of ventilators in Texas to handle the expected increase of cases in the hospitals, maybe that's a good time so we can reassess and decide, okay, we can handle the influx. I mean, that's a reasonable argument. People can say, well, you know, where are we in terms of numbers? Where are we in terms of shortages? What, what do we don't have that we need? How soon can we get it? That's a calculation. And that's reasonable policymaking based on information. But what you are hearing out of many people, even on the right side of the aisle, and I mean that in both ways, the word right, the conservative side, the GOP side, and the correct side of the aisle, is some, you know, is, you know, you hear compassion out of everyone, but you're hearing from some people on the right side of the aisle that any possible talk of weighing in the calculation of when to remove these shelter-in-place orders, any calculation that includes a concern about the downturn in the economy and the impact on people is only an argument you would buy into if you're greedy and selfish and only care about money and not about life. I said in closing that discussion with these people last night on Facebook, you know, you can care about life and want to protect people at the same time recognize that you that one way we care about people is make sure they have a country to live in and, and jobs to go to. So I, I really, I, I'll tell you one other kind of irrationality, the, the loss of reason with respect to this uh, coronavirus and how we're handling it in America. And that is this. So I have a really good friend who moved to California um, and she's a conservative. Um, and she was uh, writing about in California how they are doing two different things. But she's saying, how are we supposed to handle this? One is they are releasing from jails countless, I think her number was 70,000 people. No, I'm sorry, no, no, no. They're releasing over 600 inmates. It was 600, 70,000 was something else she's talking about. But um, over 600 inmates from jails and instructing officers to cut back on who they make, who they arrest. So they're letting criminals out of jail. They're also rounding up homeless people and putting them in hotels, which of course the state pays for, the rooms for these homeless people, which means the taxpayers pay for hotel rooms for the homeless people. And she's getting at, where, where is the fiscal reason here? Uh, my communities can be more dangerous. I got inmates, you know, wandering in the streets now. We have actual people being let out of jail. And then compounding that, we're going to have to raise our taxes or in some way, the people, because the government has no money, whenever any government says, 
let the government pay for that. Whenever any advocate tells you the government will pay for that, what they mean is you, the taxpayer, will pay for that. She's just saying, are you freaking kidding me? Where is the money going to come from? And we all know the answer where the money is going to come from is the taxpayers, the ones who actually go to work and pay their taxes. Uh, two last points I want to hit before I turn. The last, I do want to get to a brief segment about the quarantine and the economy. Just a couple more points on that. But I want a couple other in this little segment about how we've been driven into insanity, or I didn't really call it that. I called it virus and the death of reason. So there was a headline today that says the United States, this is the quote, the U.S. Is, was more prepared for the pandemic than any other country. Now, you might think that I took that headline from a Donald Trump speech. You might, you might think that. The, the, well, Donald Trump probably said some crazy thing like, oh, yeah, America was so well prepared. That's actually the result of a finding, a study that was released today by Johns Hopkins University. Johns Hopkins, one of the premier universities in the nation, massive international study. The United States was more prepared for a pandemic than any other country in the world. Thought you might want to know that because I, and, and keep that in mind when you hear people who just spend their life, their political life, their Facebook life, their conversational life, demeaning, criticizing, mocking, and hassling and, and critiquing and just trying to obliterate Donald Trump because of the, the way we've handled the coronavirus. And actually America was the most prepared. And I have a list of is 24 or 32 great things the Trump administration has done to handle this virus. The nation is hailing it. The nation is responding. That's a great thing to know. Even Johns Hopkins, no friend to conservatism, uh, had to come up with that. The last little point I wanted to get to, um, and this, again, is, is on the subject of the quarantine and the various uh, rules in place around the country and the economy. President Trump gave his speech today. Um, I did not get to tune into it. Uh, Noonish, I think it was, back east. But anyway, gave a speech and basically said the same thing that our Texas lieutenant governor said, which is, we have to have a date certain to get back we have to get the country working. We have to get the country moving. He, President Trump, posited by Easter, you know, so mid-April. So we're, he's saying we got to work toward getting back to work. It's really, really, really important to understand that this is a this is a mission on the part of this president, and it ties in what we were just talking about. America can't function, can not function during. Uh, you know, for months and months and months with everything shut down. Now, I will tell you that every bit of good news that comes out about uh, the coronavirus, every bit of news that, good news that comes out, people getting better, people finding that new drug having, having been effective, the drug that was actually developed to fight malaria, people coming to all other sorts of other conclusions, every time some good news comes out, the immediately, the uh, as my friend Connie Burton was referring to them a moment ago, the legacy media, but the Democrat media mob instantly find a way to shut that down, to to denounce it, to say it's not true, it's not accurate, it's an exaggeration, it's a lie. It's, but they cannot admit anything good can happen. The only answer that the, the left is happy with is if this coronavirus can tank the American economy. Trump is saying no. And again, I want to urge you to remember on the idea of the economy, the economy is not rubbing your greedy little hands together and trying to figure out how big your retirement account is or how much money you're going to get in your pension. That's not what the word economy means. It means everyday life. It means the ability to pay for your life, to be able to keep your, your family and yourself and your home with a roof over your head, with your basic needs met, even with and economy means the idea that more and more people moving into the workforce, whether it's because they are young and finishing high school or college, or because they're returning to the workforce after having been stay-at-home mom for a while, all sorts of reasons people will move into the economy. It's having jobs available. And this there needs to be in this country actual leadership that President Trump is trying to show that goes beyond goes beyond the, are we doing enough to make, you know, to tell everyone to shelter in place and, and keep washing your hands and, you know, stay your social distance away. And I mean, all the things people are doing to comply with recommendations to prevent the spread. Are we really doing that? 
Um, and if we're doing all of that, which everyone is doing, what is the um, reason that, um, I'm sorry, you know, it's just, I'm doing this from home and my, um, sorry, that was distracting. Doing this from home, my phone's buzzing at me. But, you know, there's just a really, really important thing to keep in mind as we are um, working on getting ourselves through the coronavirus to recognize that this coronavirus thing will pass. We will get through it. But uh, I tell you, actually related to the Lieutenant Governor, I right before this show today, I happened to be on a conference call with him, with Lieutenant Governor. And honest to goodness, folks, when you realize the real statistics in Texas, and these are just for Texas, uh, other places are having different answers, but we're doing very well handling this coronavirus. We're doing very well. We are very justified in trying to be careful to not destroy the economy just so we have zero spread. We don't want any spread. We can take measures to cautionary measures, follow the instructions, but we cannot continue with this full stop shutdown, especially in light of the fact that the Democrats are telling you from Washington, as I mentioned at the start of our show, uh, in talking about the trying to get the coronavirus aid package out, the Democrats are seizing on this opportunity to put in place radical leftist socialist agenda items, radical extreme socialist agenda items, forcing them into a bill which they know the country needs, that the Republicans have to pass. They think somehow they can get away with this. And, and I'm telling you folks, I think it's gonna backfire on the Democrats. I really, really do. And I, I'm gonna close out this uh, show segment. I'm gonna get to why it matters to you, but I really wanna encourage you to be part of the informed, intelligent solution. I'm going to be sharing data on this show on Thursday about where we really are in terms of uh, numbers and statistics, where we are in terms of the number of deaths we've had and, and, and cases contracted and how we're doing handling them and what percentage of people being tested uh, end up not having the virus. And, and just to encourage you, do not let the media get you caught up in this hysteria and hype that is truly very, very harmful uh, to our country, to our economy, uh, really, and to everything we're trying to do uh, to keep our country together uh, in the course of this amazing, um, just uh, very, very troubling time. It's vital that all of us, all of us be informed, stay calm, follow the instructions, do not get caught, that we're supposed to do the hand washing and all that, do not get caught up in the hysteria and do not get shouted down like I kind of figuratively was last night on Facebook. Do not get shouted down by the people who are so afraid about the virus that they're perfectly willing to let the economy tank in order to completely eliminate the threat of coronavirus. In fact, I'll just tease this a little bit about the conference call I was on. You know, to be really clear about the coronavirus, we are going to get through it. We're going to have warm season come. We're going to have summer. We're going to have heat, heat, heat and humidity tend to kill viruses. But we're also, to understand, viruses, they may go away for a season, but like the seasonal flu virus, it will come back, you know, next year. We have the seasonal flu virus every year. We have the flu season. This, this uh, coronavirus may come back. We cannot assume that we can all shutter in place until the virus has been completely eliminated. Because if we do that, we will have eliminated our country. It's that straight out, flat out true. If you're going to say we have to stay home and shut down industry, shut down America until the virus is completely eliminated, you're agreeing to truly the end of America, the end of the American dream, the end of the economy, the destruction of our country. We cannot let it go that far. And there is there are many reasons to doubt the motivations of some people pushing that agenda, pushing that, you know, uh, stay in place longer, shelter in place longer, nothing can open, nothing can function. Many people on the left are salivating watching the destruction to the economy that was Donald Trump's premier victory, premier uh, performance over his first, uh, in his first term. The economy's performance, his success in the economy were what were just irrefutable. The, the Democrats had no talking points in response to that. I am not saying the Democrats want everyone to suffer. I am saying that they see the impact of coronavirus destroying all of the gains in our economy brought to America 
because of Donald Trump's conservative fiscal policies. And the Democrats are ecstatic to see the economy in ruins because it makes it more likely they can remove Trump. Do not doubt me on this. Do not think the Democrats wouldn't possibly think of anything so cruel as that. They would and they do. And that, my friends, is my show for today. I'm going to turn to telling you, as I always do at the end of every show, why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So to start with, our first story today, Pelosi infects the virus relief. I mean, I just can't tell you folks how truly deeply evil what the Pelosi is doing, what she has been doing to this economy, and her um, just uh, very much willingness to continue um, doing it. So anyway, uh, she's there, we're trying to get the coronavirus thing through Congress, derailed by Pelosi's leftist wish list, 32 mentions of diversity, national election corruption, postal service bailout, Democrat Clyburn, tremendous opportunity to restructure things, to fix our, to fix our vision, fit our vision, because the Democrats want the vision they have for America, nothing like what we Americans would ever, ever want. And then we have, of course, Americans are receiving a vital real-time free education about the Democrats and leftism. They do not share the value of basic human decency. Lives don't matter. Emergency doesn't matter. Fundamental transformation is all that matters to the left. Every crisis is viewed through the same lens, how to use it to destroy American freedom in favor of leftist government control. What the Democrats are doing is despicable. The GOP should not give one inch. Trump should accelerate back to work. Let the Democrats be forever tagged with their bad behavior on this uh, topic. Okay, and so on the next uh, slide we have virus and the death of reason. And, you know, I there are so many stories I could have thrown in there and I just couldn't... Um, couldn't throw them all in, but um, I had a few here. The back-to-work spirit does not equate to the callousness um, as, to the, as to the vulnerable. This virus and death of reason, a collapsed economy, lost jobs. Um, the, uh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to... Uh, lost jobs, a total shutdown of America is wildly out of proportion to actual lethality um, data. We can do multiple things at once. Get back to work and control the spread and care for the vulnerable. Why is every bit of good news spiked or instantly berated? Thousands of recoveries, often compared to a bad cold. Chloroquine, in correct prescribed form, is showing efficacy. Florence, Italy mayor, actually promoted hug a Chinese because political correctness taught him that racism is worse than a virus. Now, look at Italy. On the quarantine economy affecting health too, the economic collapse is not impersonal. It deeply affects emotions and coping capabilities. There is no vaccine for suicide. The American work ethic is legendary, inbred, a part of the American DNA. It has nothing to do with greed. It has everything to do with the dignity of work and the value of industriousness and productivity. It is as much about valuing life as is the desire to prevent disease. A complete economic shutdown in America is unprecedented, stark, damaging. The burden is shifting to the proponents of total shutdown. Why is this necessary? And the answer can't be climate change style apocalyptic computer model projections. It must be based on real data, real comparisons to other flus or pandemics. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. If you couldn't tell, this is our first show doing from home. And we're in the middle of this uh, shelter in place in Dallas. And so I'm doing the show from my home. And Matt, the wonderful producer, I thank him so very much. He's producing the show from his home. So thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk. I will still be here every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America?